it really beat me down mentally because I thought I'm wasting my time. I thought I felt guilty. I should be dealing with my kids. I should be dealing with her. I should be more present, more in the moment there instead of always thinking about the story. As a as an author, we're always writing. We go to Walmart. We go anywhere. We go out to dinner. I'm eavesdropping conversations, and those conversations might appear in a story at some point. I'm watching characters, mannerisms, all of that. And it drove her nuts. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. This episode is sponsored by ASTOTS Academy, which offers online courses that help investors, aspiring professionals, business leaders, and even beginners to improve the finances of their lives and their businesses. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guests, Armand Rosamilia. Armand, are you ready to rock? I'm ready. All right. Well, Armand is a New Jersey boy currently living in sunny Florida, quite a difference there, <laughs> where he writes <laughs> when he's not sleeping. He's happily married to a woman who helps his career and is supportive, which is all he ever wanted in life. He's written over 150 stories that are currently available, including horror stories, zombie stories, contemporary fiction, thrillers, and much more. His goal is to write a good story and not worry about the genre labels. He not only runs two successful podcasts, but he owns the darn networks that they're on. That network is called Project Entertainment Network. The podcast is the Armcast podcast, interviewing fellow authors, as well as filmmakers, musicians, and others. The Mondo Method podcast is the other one, which he co-hosts with Chuck Buddha, talking about writing and publishing. You can find him at armandorosamilia.com. And for not only his latest releases, but also interviews and guest posts and other things that he does with authors that he likes. So also I'll have the show notes, everything in the show notes so you can learn more about him. So Armand, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life. You know, I mean, you, you covered a lot right there. So uh, I've been a full-time author about, I think I'm going on my ninth year now. And I've been, I've wanted to be an author since I was 12 years old. So it's, it took me a little while, but I'm finally living the dream. And uh, I'm just curious about, I, I love uh, telling a story about this whenever I meet authors. And really, I call you a writer. I don't really call you an author. The reason why I do that is because I go back to a story of a friend of mine, and I, he and I took a vacation together to a, like a detox resort in Thailand. And one morning I knocked on his door and we were going to have coffee together. He said, come on in. And, and I saw him and he was on his bed. And I was like, what are you doing? And he says, I'm writing. I was like, what are you writing? I don't know. Just writing stuff, my journal and, you know, just, you know, writing ideas down. How long have you been doing that? Ah, about an hour, you know, just here writing. I said, do you do that often? He said, yeah, pretty much every morning. And that was when it clicked to me that he is a writer and I am an author. And the difference is 
writing is a very tough experience for me. <laughs> it's hard. I got to rewrite. It's just so it's painful, but I can come up with a result. And he's published many books and I've published, you know, a few books also, but that's when I kind of realized the difference. Someone, and I'm curious, are you a writer or are you an author? You know, it, it, it's a great question because it really depends on, for me, where I am with an idea or where I am with a story or, and all that. There are days like that where I will just write, where I would just sit down and play with an idea. But then there are other times when I'm the author where I'm, you know, it's a contract. I'm working on a book. I have the idea and I'm, I'm putting it together and I'm fashioning that story into what it will become. So there's, there's many different, you know, there's ways. I mean, you could label it any way you want. But mm. For me, it's part of the process, I think, being the difference between being an author and being a writer. And I'm curious, like, how do you write? Do you write by outlining or do you write by kind of like just freely, free association? And also, I'm curious, how do you revise? Like after you've written something, is it like good on the first draft or do you need to go back and revise? I asked these for a friend of mine who always struggles with writing. No, no, <laughs> asking for me, obviously. <laughs> I am a pantser. I write from the seat of my pants. There's no outline. It's just, you know, being creative and just sitting down and just coming up with the next line, the next sentence, the next idea, the next beat of the story. And I, you know, that's how I write. And I'm very lucky because, you know, 30 years of writing, I write a pretty clean first draft. So it's usually typos and stuff. So the idea I put down is usually, that's the story. That's the book. I'll give it to beta readers and they'll go through and find a couple things. Now there might be like maybe a continuity error or something minor, but I have writer friends who will literally write an entire book and then scrap it and write it again. And I mean, that would, that would drive me nuts. So my editor will come back and go through, depending on if I'm self-publishing, if I'm working with the publisher. But the process is pretty much, you know, me just sitting down and I'll write multiple projects a day. So on my board behind me, I have 17 different open projects right now. Short stories, novels, novellas, flash fiction that most of them are already promised to publishers. So I'm, you know, what whatever is coming up next, I mean, I'll write three or four times a day, I'll do sprints and it might be three or four different projects. Or as we're talking now, we're right in the middle of NaNoWriMo, which is a national writing month. So every November, the goal is to write 50,000 words in 30 days. And I do it every year. I've done it for about 12 years now. And usually I'll finish this book. And at some point down the line, this book will hopefully be published somewhere. That's really inspirational. And I, I know for many of the listeners out there that want to write, you know, it's great to hear. Just curious, you mentioned something I never heard before, beta readers. What's that? So it's basically, it's your, it's your front line of readers. It's the, it's the people who basically, once you're done, I'm done with my first draft and I'm giving it to three or four people. And it depends on the book. I'm lucky enough to have built up a, a list of people. So if I'm writing, say I'm writing a horror book, I know three or four people I will give that book to. And, and I know some of them are, you know, if I'm writing military, I know a guy who I can send to and he'll tell me this gun doesn't do this or there's no 
anything you're writing doesn't make sense or it does make sense. Mm. And yep. so it's readers that have specific skills to help you put that book together. So that's that's pretty much what a beta reader is. And it's different from an editor. Yeah, they're not they're not going deep into most of it is they're catching obvious spelling errors or common mistakes, typos. Yep. But their main idea is does the story make sense? Are the things in it making sense? Did I kill someone or did I do is she wearing pants in this scene and she's not wearing pants in the next one? Like mm. you know, those those things that probably on my first pass writing through it, I'm not, you know, I missed or I I screwed it up. I once wrote a book and about seven or eight chapters later, I had this brilliant scene with this Russian hitman who I had unfortunately killed several chapters before. <laughs> so I, I had a, like, that was like a major, like, oh, let me, let me rewrite this because that guy did not come. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a horror book where he came back from the dead. So. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking a moment to share a little bit about your, your experience with that. Cause I know, for all of us, we have to write, we want to write, sometimes we don't want to write, but this gives us some, some good little tidbits. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So it, it has to obviously do with me becoming a full-time author. And I was in a, we're going back almost 10 years now, I was in a, in a relationship with a woman. I was a full-time retail manager working for a, a company that I hated. I mean, I, I, I hated retail. I worked my whole life and I was, I was just miserable. And her dream was let's get married and you're, we're going to have a white picket fence. And you know, the, really the whole, that whole American dream that I didn't really believe in. I, I wanted, I'm creative. I wanted to be a writer. And there were nights when I would sneak out of bed to write. And she would get mad and she would call it my mistress. And for me, it was funny. It was almost like, you know, what's wrong with me? Like normal guys sneak out of bed and go on the computer. They're looking at porn or something or the football scores. I'm I'm trying to write a, a short story. You should was, love that. I, she should yeah. love that. No, she, she did not. So it was like sneaking around. And I it really beat me down mentally because I thought I'm wasting my time. I thought I felt guilty. I should be dealing with my kids. I should be dealing with her. I should be more present, more in the moment there instead of always thinking about the story. As a as an author, we're always right. We go to Walmart. We go anywhere. We go out to dinner. I'm eavesdropping conversations, and those conversations might appear in a story at some point. I'm watching characters, mannerisms, all of that, and it drove her nuts. So I think the the kind of the rock bottom for me at the time I thought it was I had lost my job they wanted to move me to another store further away less money and I basically looked at another company and tried to go there and they matched the money but then they fired me afterwards which was awful and I was really down and she was Instead of being supportive, she was like, "Well, go get another job. I don't care if you, I don't care if you're a a Walmart greeter. Just you have to work." And I said, "But I, you know, I'm I was making good money, but I was working 80, 90 hours a week. You know, six days a week, seven days a week. So in the meantime, I said, you know what? I'll look for a job. That's fine. I will seriously look, and I will do a lot of interviews and stuff. 
I'm getting unemployment right now, which is not nearly what I was making, but I, I also want to write. I, I want to be able to write. And so I, I started writing more and I'd always written, but I, I kind of got serious. And the good part with it was this was right in the beginning with Amazon, with eBooks. This is when it had all Kindle, it had all just started. So I wrote my first zombie book and it took off. It sold a lot and I was making decent money, not anywhere near a salary, but I was making good money and we were fighting so much. I was sleeping on the couch and it was me and my son was still living with me and her and her son. And the house we were renting, the landlord shut the water off. He wanted us to leave. He wanted his house back. And so I'm trying to write books. I'm trying to look for a job. I'm broke. My son is just about to go for his first year in high school at that time. She's leaving and she's taking all the furniture. She's taking everything with her. And I have no water in the house. And it was like, it was that so frustrating. It was like, what am I doing? And and I really thought at that point, just go get a job. Just go do something. If it's a Walmart reader, whatever. And not even to save a relationship, because that had been dead for a long time. But I think for my own peace of mind. But then it was that in the back of my head saying, you know what? If I don't do this at this point, I'm in my 40s. If I don't do it now, I'm never going to do this. I've been wanting to be a writer since I was literally 12 years old, and I read my first Dean Koontz book. And I, I've been wanting to do this, and it's now, it's all these 30 years later, and I'm still not doing what I really what I want to do. Not what I'm supposed to do, but what I want to do. And it's funny because because of the first, the, the zombie book, Dying Days, a publisher, unbeknownst to me, had picked it up and read it and loved it. And they had struck a deal with a movie company in Hollywood, one of these really small little B movie. And so they sent me an email and said, hey, we'd love to have a conversation with you. And so I, I picked up the phone, I talked to them, and it was literally like a movie. So picture, we have no running water in the house, okay? But we have a swimming pool that has been, the motor's broken, so it's green, there's frogs in it, it's disgusting. We have to take a basically a bowl fill it up from the pool to pour into the toilets so we can basically, we can go to the bathroom, me and my son. And literally as she's walking out the door for the last time, the phone rings and they say to me, we want you to write a serialized book for us because we're going to make it into, we're basically making it into a movie. And I'm right there. Point, <laughs> I'm in tears. You know I mean? Like, yeah, I'm really choked up just thinking of that. The visualization of that, I mean, that feeling of, you know, desperation or frustration and, you know, and then to have a call like that, wow. I mean, literally she's walking out the door and they call me and they, and they, yeah. And it's like, bye. And they, so they're, they're saying, oh, can you write this? And, and now at that point, if they had said, I want you to write a, I need you to write a romance and we need it in Mandarin. I would have went, yeah, I can do that. Because it, <laughs> did, it didn't matter. I was, I was all in. And the funny part was, so I'm selling myself. I could do that. Yeah, no, I, I do this for a living. I'm a full-time author, which I, I was because I didn't have a job at the time. And I'll never forget my son as I'm talking and I'm saying, oh, yeah, I do this for a living. Yeah, I do really well. My son is walking past me with a bucket of green water to use the bathroom. And he looks at me and shakes his head and he says, yeah, you're doing a great job. 
Oh. And it just it just cracked me up because I I like I needed that, you know. And then the rest of the meeting went well and I ended up what became Miami Spy Games, which was I think a 12 part thing and they paid me a lot of money. I mean, they they basically paid my bills for like the next year with that. And it ultimately never made it to be a movie, which such a tiny tiny thing, you know, books actually end up doing, but it was really the validation hey, somebody really likes me and somebody's going to pay me thousands of dollars to write for them. And I've ended up, I ended up mm. writing 14 different books for that company over the years. And most of them were not ever made into movies. I did some ghost writing for them, but it really kickstarted the career. And I look back now after 10 years almost of writing full time. And I'm, you know, I wonder where I would be if I had just given in, if I had just went and started doing stock boy overnight or something and gave up the dream. Uh, so we'll call this episode, how I went from carrying buckets of slime water <laughs> to become a leading author. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what did you learn from this experience? I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I was a good writer. I learned that, I mean, at the time and looking back, I had a lot to learn from publishing and just the growth and everything. But I learned that I was better than I thought I was. I, I guess for all those years, I had been with her for six years and beaten down. And I felt like writing and reading and doing anything that wasn't with her was a bad thing. And I think that was really kind of the, the moment where I said, you know what, this is my dream. This is my dream. And I knew from that point on, anybody I was going to be with was going to have to understand that, you know, and that might be selfish and that might be arrogant, but I knew this is what I want to do with my life. And I don't care if I make a dollar a year or a million dollars a year, I'm going to be a writer and this is what I'm going to do. Mm. Let me summarize some things that I take away from this. It was almost two years ago that my sister came to see me in Thailand and it was a very, it wasn't an easy trip for her, for me. My mother's living here, so she came to see my mom and me. And, you know, we get along very well. But what happened was that my sister, what she said to me was, get a job. And the dreams of my business and this and that of what I wanted, she's like, just get a job. And it was such a crushing blow for me. And particularly coming from her, who I respect a lot. And also, of course, there was the truth, the elements of truth to it. Right. Now, you know, later I was talking to my mom about it because, you know, she was in the middle of all that. And my mom just said, well, how much does she really know about your business and what your goals are and all that? And I said, yeah, that's a good point. And I used it as as a moment to challenge myself to say, no, this is my dream. This is my passion. And I think that and I ended up being able to make it successful, but it wasn't easy. And there was hard, definitely hard parts to it. And what I would challenge for the listeners out there is you do have to make a decision. If you have a passion of what you want, the world isn't just going to open up for you. People are going to resist. People are going to doubt you. People are going to challenge you. And it may or may not work. Your idea of who you are and what you want to do may or may not work. But I think that we can take inspiration from Armand's story and the idea that there comes a point in time where you got to say, I'm going to make this work. And if you do that, hopefully, if you're good at it, then you will get that call. You will make that breakthrough. 
It may be huge, it may be small, but look for that breakthrough. And then the other, other thing that I took away is the idea of validation. And we're taught, don't live your life to get external validation and all that. Well, yeah, I understand that, but damn it, it really feels great when somebody appreciates the work that we do. And it really feels bad when somebody just doesn't really appreciate it. And I think this is a, a story about that. Don't feel bad if you want that validation and you're striving for that. You know, don't lose sight. That's not everything in the world. And for people that are just putting you down or whatever, that doesn't help. And so I think another lesson that I learned from this is know when you've got to walk away from certain situations and relationships. So I took a lot away from this. Is there anything you'd add to that? For me, it was like you said, I have an ego. We all have an ego. I want to succeed. But I think even if even if I look back now and right now I'm in that awful job, I can at least look back on my life and say, you know what? I tried this. I tried it and it failed. I gave it the shot. I never wanted to look back and go, well, I wish I could have done that. You know, I wish I try to become an actual writer and an author and publish books. So for that, I mean, I'm for that, I'm blessed. And then just to be able to, to be able to do this for a living and to have a wife now who from day one completely, you know, she's not creative. She's not a writer, but she understood you have a dream and I'm going to help you with that dream as much as possible. And really that's like, I mean, it's, it's in the bio that you read at the top. I mean, that's I mean, the most important thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I was interested because when I read that, let's go back to that bio, ladies and gentlemen, and let's listen. He, what he sent me was he's happily married to a woman who helps his career and his supporters, which is all he ever wanted in life. And, you know, that's beautiful. And now I see the value of that statement. And when I first read it, I didn't understand the value of it, but now I see that really clearly. So now based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? You, you go for your dreams. You strive for what you believe in. You're realistic about it. I got very lucky. I mean, I got very lucky. I had a little slightly different path than other authors but I also put in the work. I also, you know, I had my first story published in 1988. So you're talking now it's 2009, 2010, and I'm finally able to write full time. So it's a lot of work, but you have to do it. I, I believe if you're really passionate about something, you have to do it. And the fact that it took me all these years to get here, it just makes it sweeter. It makes it better. And there's so much more I can do. There's so much more that I'm going to do. And I think as long as you're, as you're doing that and you're, you're shedding the negative around you, you're, the people that don't understand, the people that don't get it. And that might not mean completely getting rid of them out of your life, but kind of compartmentalizing them and saying, okay, that's their belief. And it has no bearing on what I believe, because this is my dream. No matter what your dream is, this is this is my dream. And I think no matter what happens, you just have to do that because you don't want to get 80 years old, 90 years old and regret the things that you never did. I mean, that, that makes some great, that makes great movie scenes. It makes great <laughs> literature of the things, uh, 
you know, mom gave up a singing career or ballet for her children. You know, you, you see all those cliche mm. scenes and stuff in it, but you don't want that in your life. You don't want to ever look back. And I think that's, for me, that's, that's the one thing that's the most important, no matter what happens. I gave it my all and I gave it a shot and so far so good. Great. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal is to just continue to work and to continue to learn. This is such a tough business to understand, and it changes constantly. I mean, in the next 12 months, Amazon is going to change three or four times the way they do things. Publishing went through a huge upheaval with COVID and everything. So there's so much to learn. So for me, trying to stay ahead of the technology, trying to stay ahead of where are the new challenges and, and where are the new places for me to sell books yep. when you don't have all the conventions and the book signings that I've had for the last few years and I've done, I've done really well with. So for me, it's just kind of growing as a writer and as a person, because I don't like that. I'm, I'm going to be 51. I'm like, I'm an old man who doesn't want to do anything different. I want to just sit down and write and it, you can't do that in today's day and age. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. As we conclude, Armand, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I just want to really thanks for the opportunity. And this is a lot of fun. And that was a story I don't get to tell all that often. And it brings back a lot of, it brings back a lot of pain, but it also, just sitting here looking back, I'm like, you know what? I really grew from, I really grew from that. And I'm, that's the reason I'm here where I am right now. So I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate your vulnerability. And I think that from the perspective of this show and what the listeners get from this show, it is really the opportunity for us to look back and be vulnerable and look at what's happening in our lives and look at it objectively. And I believe that that's also why I say you are an alumni status now, because you are someone that has shown the audience that you really can be sincere and vulnerable and that's valuable. So that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts saying, I'll see you on the upside.